0: It is our privilege to bring to you the following message supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. We're still discovering the joy in our journey through Philippians, and as Pastor Rick continues his journey through the book of Philippians, today he's taking a sidebar timeout in Philippians chapter 3 in a sermon he's entitled, Saints and Sap. Let's join Pastor Rick now. If you walk to
1: the midpoint of aisle number 14 and Ralph's on 79 South in Temecula, looking for pancake syrup, you have a choice to make. On the one hand, you can find this 12-ounce bottle of pure maple syrup for $12. But then you're probably going to wonder if it's worth taking out a second mortgage on your home in order to buy this product. So if that's not what you want, then on the other hand, you can reach for Aunt Jemima. Another 12 ounces, but it only costs you $3.99. 66% less. ...for the exact same amount of syrup. Now, why would anybody in their right mind spend $12 for 12 ounces of syrup? Well, there's a good reason why the good stuff is pricey. Through a very slow and painstaking process... The traditional art of maple sugaring takes large quantities of what is an essentially useless product and turns it into something that people see as worth spending or stretching their budgets in order to be able to buy. First, workers go into the woods and they use hand drills to make small holes in the trunks of maple trees. And then a small metal tube called a spile is is tapped into each hole. A bucket is placed on the end of each spile. And the sap that begins to drip into those buckets is very thin. It's very clear. It looks like water, only it has just a hint of sweetness to it. On a good day, 50 maple trees will produce about 30 to 40 gallons of sap. Now, as the buckets fill, you may know that they take those buckets and empty them into large vats that sit over open fires, and that sap is brought then to a slow boil. As it boils, the water content is reduced and the sugars are concentrated. And that's, but it takes hours. Hours later, it now has developed this rich flavor and this golden brown appearance. That product is then strained several times to remove impurities. It's uh, reheated again, it's then bottled, and then it's graded for quality. The end product of those 30 to 40 gallons of sap that were put into the vat? Just one gallon of pure maple syrup. (laughs) I tell that story because when we, or that that, that true uh, part of life, is because when we first come to Christ, when we start following him, we're like raw, unfinished sap in that we're not much to look at and many people look at us and would consider us to be totally worthless stuff. But our Heavenly Father, who is rumored to have a heart that looks beyond the outward appearance of man, knows what we were made to be. And His skillful hands are transforming in a something So that we can be sweet and precious. But there is a refining process. So that's why this morning we're going to talk about saints and sap. And I need to tell you up front that this message has the potential to frustrate a great many of you because it will not answer all the questions you have. And in addition, it's probably going to raise some new questions that you never had. (laughs) Now, if you weren't here last Sunday, Um, I mentioned that we were going to take a break from our study through Philippians to address more fully the issue that Paul raised where we were last Sunday in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to verse 16, when he said he has not arrived and he has not already been made perfect, spiritually anyway. And in those verses, he challenged us to see getting to know Jesus as a daily journey of focused intention within a supportive community. And the implications of that are frankly quite staggering. And I shared my heart about the difference that that could make in a local church if that group of followers of Jesus started to put some of this stuff into action because a church can either live in, in black and white or can move to living in vivid color. And when I realized where that sermon was going last Sunday, I thought, you know, this is going to be important to take another Sunday and just unpack more of that issue in a very biblical way. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Because I believe that the great news of the gospel is that we have been given this incredible invitation from the God of heaven to become what he originally designed each one of us to be. And yes, it begins when a person accepts that invitation to follow Jesus on a lifelong journey of faith. But that's just the starting point. There is so much more. And so like the maple tree sap that goes through a transforming process to become syrup, first of all, a follower of Jesus Christ can expect life change to be their constant experience. This is part of our journey of following Jesus. This is part of our relationship with him. We enter into that process, we enter into that relationship in order to be profoundly changed. In fact, this is what Jesus intended for those who followed him from the very beginning. For example, Mark chapter 1, verse 17. After Jesus extended the invitation to Peter and Simon to follow him, listen to his next words. He then said, and I will make you become fishers of men. We often blow right by that statement, but we can't afford to miss it. I will make you become. In other words, Jesus has an agenda in mind for every single one of his followers. It's not only that I will be different, but something desperately needs to be different inside of every single one of us. And that's why when we read the original documents that tell us about the life of Jesus... We see him using every conversation, every circumstance, every crisis as an opportunity to help his men become who he wants them to be. So it shouldn't surprise us, or I, I say that, it shouldn't surprise us, that even today, life change is still what Jesus intends his followers to experience. Open your Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter 3, and let's look at verse 18. Here is... One of a number of verses that we could look at, but here's the one that I've chosen this morning to point that out. It it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus still wants his followers to experience life change. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Again, don't miss. The followers of Jesus are being transformed. Following Jesus and finding that our lives become different by following him is the normal, expected reality. Now, what does this transformation accomplish? We know what maple sap becomes. What is the transforming process supposed to result in us? Well, look at the passage. We're being transformed into the same image. Whose image? Well, look at the context. It's the Lord. We become like the one we are following. In other words, getting to know Jesus more intimately in this relationship with him is intended to change my life. Now, notice one other element here in verse 18, though. That that transforming of us is from one degree of glory to another. Again, notice the transformation process is progressive. It's not instantaneous. It's one little step at a time, one little uh, degree of glory, more and more and more becoming like Jesus Christ. And this is why it connects so beautifully with where we were last Sunday. Philippians 3, verse 12, Paul says, Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. And I also referred last Sunday to Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, where Paul describes what God has in mind for us who are his followers. He says, For those whom he, who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. This is an exciting thing to consider. That each and every day I wake up to the journey of an adventure, walking with Jesus which means that through the events of my life, through the experiences I have that day, through the circumstances I go through that day, through the conversations that come my way, God is using every one of those as an opportunity to help me become more like him. But there's something very vital about that transforming process that we need to understand. My transforming or my transformation is a becoming of who I already am. Who am I as a follower of Jesus? Well, let's once again let 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 sink in. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has Come. In other words, when I make that initial transaction of trusting Jesus as my Savior, something wonderfully supernatural happens to me. I become, as Paul says, a new creation. I'm no longer the person I used to be. In other words, God is doing a work in me right now, It's not making me someone different. Rather, it's making me to be someone I already am. In other words, he is drawing up and out of me that which has already been made different and is already there. Again, let's look very carefully. Turn over, if you're at 2 Corinthians 3, just turn over one page to 2 Corinthians 5. Look at verse 17 there with me for a moment. Let's walk through this phrase by phrase. If anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Okay, what does that mean? Does the power of God's work at the cross change my eye color? Does it make me taller? Does it make me instantaneously mean I've lost weight? No. The promise is not that outwardly a person gets an extreme makeover. (laughs) This new creation thing is not outwardly physical, but rather something deep at the very core of who I am. Look at the next description, because 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells me that the person I once was is now gone. Look at this next phrase, the old has passed away. Now that phrase, passed away, is fascinating. It literally, if you use that phrase literally in the Greek language, it often meant... For something to go by you Or to pass by you physically So if you're down at the beach And you hear the toot of the horn You look up and you wave As the coastal commuter goes by you That would be a literal use of this phrase Passed by Or it can also be used uh, used In Paul's day to describe a storm That has now passed by In other words, it's lost its force on you It's moved away That's the literal use It was also used figuratively as in to pass on or to become invalid. So we might say, well, I look at the calendar, and a date on that calendar is passed, and so now my 40% off my next meal at Taco Bell is no longer valid. Why? Because that date's gone by me. That's the figurative use of it. So, put that all together. The person I once was is gone passed away it no longer defines me nor directs my life now look at the next statement behold the new has come i love that word behold it means look at this don't miss this something new has come and replaced the old for those of you who are computer geeks there's a new superior operating system that's been in place of the of an obsolete one the new covenant is now in effect i've been given a new heart and that is my that new heart of mine is now what defines me and directs me this is who i am in christ but i remember again what paul told us in philippians 3:12 and second corinthians 3:18 it's not fully experienced yet We are being transformed into living out that new creation which God, through Jesus Christ, put in me. Now, let me link this to something important. This is why the New Testament authors give us images and analogies of that transforming process and they always use one of three analogies. Always. They'll either refer to this as we're maturing as a person In other words, like an infant progressively becoming and moving towards being a child and then moving on towards being an adult. And for those of you who want to study this, go back and look at 1 Peter 2.2, Ephesians 4.13 and 14, or Hebrews 5.12 to 6.1. Those are examples of this analogy of maturing as a person happens. There's a second analogy. The second analogy is that we're growing like a plant. In other words, a seed germinates in the ground. A stem pushes up towards the surface and roots go down further into the ground and eventually fruit comes. That's the second analogy that the New Testament authors use. You can see this in John 15, verses 1 to 8, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6 to 9, Colossians 2 and verse 7 as examples of that. The third analogy is we're developing like a building under construction. So one block at a time, one beam at a time. It's all being pull, put together, built on a sure foundation. It's rising up towards completion. That's the third analogy. Again, you can see this in 1 Corinthians 3.9, chapter 3, verses 6 to 17, Ephesians 2, verse 20 to verse 22. Okay, why is all that important? Why, why am I pointing that out? Because my transformation into the image of Jesus Christ is to see what I already am come to maturity, come to fruition, come to completion. The seed will change into a plant. The foundation will turn into a building that was designed. The baby will become an adult. It's not a biblical picture. But from nature, the most amazing act of transformation is how a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. That fat blob of an insect (laughs) slowly crawling up the stem of a plant, eating its way there, will transform into that which flies with freedom and beautiful wings. But the DNA of that butterfly is there in the caterpillar. It's just becoming what it already was designed to be. So that means a seed is not going to turn into an iPhone. The foundation of a building is not going to end up giving you an aircraft carrier. The baby is not going to grow up to be a giraffe. Deep inside a seed, deep inside a baby, even in the construction plans, is a unique DNA, a predetermined design of what it will become. So as a follower of Jesus Christ, who am I? What is my spiritual DNA or design? 2 Corinthians 5.17, I am a new creation. The transforming work of Jesus Christ will bring that to maturity, to fruition, to completion. Or let me give you another one of 2 Peter verse one, or chapter 1 and verse 4 that tells us we're partakers of the divine nature. So that progressive work of Jesus in his followers is going to bring that divine nature we've already been given in in a little bit to more maturity, to fruition, to completion. Folks, isn't that exciting? Isn't that incredible what Jesus Christ is doing inside of us in this progressively becoming more like him? I'm just becoming more of who I already am. So why do we struggle? Good question. There's a reality to why then we struggle. A follower of Jesus can expect life change to be disruptive. Are you here in 2 Corinthians still with me? Look at chapter 4 and verse 16. Paul says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Notice the first phrase. So we do not lose heart. It's possible for the followers of Jesus Christ to get discouraged and to lose heart about this transforming process. Why? How does that happen? Well, there's... Four critical observations to make. There's probably more than four, but there's four critical observations to make in this verse. First, notice that the followers of Jesus live at the same time with an outer and an inner self. Second thing I want you to notice there in Second Corinthians 4.16, there is something substantially different about each one of those. Third, notice that these two aspects of us are headed in opposite directions. And finally, there is a progressive transformation that's occurring with that inner self. Let's explore all of this for just a moment. This inner self that Paul talks about here in 2 Corinthians 4.16 is part of our new creation. It's part of that new covenant, newness that's come into our hearts. And day by day, that core part of us is being renewed according to this verse. So more and more, our character begins to act and to think and to look like Jesus Christ, which means his attitudes are becoming my attitudes. His motivations are becoming my motivations. I find that I love what he loves. I find that more and more, I'm beginning to value and treasure the same things that Jesus Christ values and treasures. But at the same time, our physical bodies, notice, are wasting away or decaying. But that's not the real me anyway. Because down deep, down deep at the heart level, this new person we were created to be is being renewed every day. This new creation is slowly being drawn out of us by the work of Jesus Christ. And it's important to understand the dynamics and the the working of these two aspects as we follow Jesus. Because to be muddled about this is to live in a frustration in our journey of following Jesus. I mean, after all, how many of us have asked the question, if I'm a new creation, then why do I feel and act like my old self so much of the time? I find myself, I'm still selfish. I find at times I'm still very proud. I struggle to forgive. I battle bitterness. I keep committing the same sin over and over and over again. It doesn't appear to me that the old is gone at all. At least that's where I live. (laughs) And that's why it's vital to understand that the key to our transformation is keeping straight who we were and who we are now. You're here in 2 Corinthians. Just turn a little bit farther to the right. past Galatians to the book of Ephesians. And go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. Here is Paul giving us the details of keeping straight who we were and who we are now. Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 17. Paul says, Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. How did they walk? Well, in the futility of their minds, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Note that. The issue is a hardness of heart. And what does that hardness of heart do? It not only is a part of why the... uh, a unbeliever has got a certain status with God. There is certain behaviors that come out of that. Verse 19, they have become callous. They have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, again, let's make some important observations here about this passage. First, we do have a connection or an awareness of something called our old self and something called our new self. That's, That's very important. We do see that connection inside of us. Our old self... It acts. It's, it's that former manner of life that we had. It's, it's corrupt through deceitful desires. In other words, it is who I once was before I met Jesus. The new self, this is my current life. This is created after the likeness of God to be right and whole and holy. It's who I am now since I met Jesus. And I'm to respond to each one of these in a different way. Notice the old gets put off and the new gets put on, which, which, by the way, those words describe the process of putting on or, or taking off clothes. Okay, what's Paul warning us about? He is warning us as the followers of Jesus Christ that it's entirely possible to not live out of our new creation that which is true of us because of who we are in Christ. It's possible that we never live that out. Really? Yeah. Because when we came to Christ, our memories weren't erased. Oh, we can still remember our former sinful choices. We remember the pleasure, even if it was short-lived, to, uh, when we gave into temptation. We remember those old habits of how we tried to manage our life. We still have those trigger points that can still lead us to self-centered and immoral behavior. All of that is still remembered. Really? And I'm a new creation? Yeah. What's going on inside of me? I mean, what's wrong with me when that kind of stuff happens? Why does following Jesus feel like a constant struggle where I'm regularly failing and, and disappointing him? Well, it's probably very helpful to understand at least one additional element that's at play here. And that it helps us keep straight who we once were and who we are now. And that element is called the flesh. Now, the word flesh, as it's used in the New Testament, is used in two different ways. One, it's often used by the New Testament authors just to describe our physical bodies, this body that we live in. Um, And as I mentioned a moment ago, that wasn't changed when we came to Christ. Our new creation, though, is housed in... In our flesh. So, for example, Corinth—I I mean, Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, in this physical body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But that same word, the flesh, is not only used to describe what I'm made of, It also describes what can move me. In other words, it also describes that broken, twisted, warped part of me that still tries to persuade me to resist God and seek my selfish pursuits. See, before Christ came into a person's life, anybody's life, there was no choice but to follow the instincts of the flesh. We were enslaved to its desires and its rebellious attitudes towards God. Remember the descriptions here in Ephesians 4? Feudal thinking, darkened understanding, alienated from God, ignorant, calloused, giving ourselves up to every kind of impurity. Why? All because of the hardened hearts. But in Christ, we are a new creation. Because of the new covenant, we've been given this new heart. No longer are we defined and driven by the flesh. Its power over us is broken, so we can make a choice. 2 Corinthians 5.17 It's passed away. It's lost its force. It's no longer valid. Is it still there? Yes because it is so the the flesh physically and the flesh on the inside that moves us is so intricately woven together it will never be completely eradicated until these mortal bodies take on immortality at the resurrection then at that day it'll be gone for good but until then our flesh whispers to us it coaxes us It tries to present itself as the natural and normal and correct way to live life and we dare not underestimate its influence. So what are we to do? Well, the scriptures give us the way of living out of this transforming heart. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Again, let's back up. God's business is heart transformation. And we can cooperate with what He has in mind when we choose to enter into each day with the focus on how the Spirit wants to draw out of us what, of who we already are, we find our heart becoming just even more so transformed into the very image of Jesus Christ. Okay, so let me give you some summary thoughts with all this. Let me talk about the implications of all of this for us and for our relationships with others. Let me give you five. There are more, probably. Let me give you five that pop into my mind real quickly this past week. First of all, every believer is on a God-designed journey of progressively becoming more like Jesus. That may seem obvious, but I want to state it again. Why? Because there is divine purpose and intentionality in all of the events of our story. What happens to us every day is not random. It is not out of control. Now, it may not appear obvious to us, and we may not be able to understand how God is using it, but he asks us to trust him, that there's something purposeful and intentional going on that's going to help us through this become more like Jesus. That is happening. Second implication. If it's a journey then the Lord doesn't put me on a performance standard. In other words, He designed this as a journey. We're not on a performance standard. In other words, God is not up in heaven. Jesus is not up there demanding that I just get it together, would you please? He doesn't look at us and say, you know what, I had such hopes for you, but you are such a major disappointment to me. Rather, what is God doing? He's seeking to mature us. He's seeking to grow us. He's seeking to continually build us up. There's no performance standard. Third implication. My heart's desire should be to see this new creation grow and develop within me. In other words, every day I need to remind myself, I am a new creation. This is not only who I am now, but this is also who I'm becoming even on my worst day. This is who I am. This means I can stop trying to change from who I was into who I ought to be, but rather I relax in confidence in God's work is going to mature me into who I already am. Do you see the difference that that makes? Number four the most loving thing that I can do for others is to be a safe relationship for them to journey with Jesus. In other words, just as I need others to let me be honest about my journey struggles and failures and so hopefully they'll treat me with patience and gentleness and understanding, so that is the loving thing to give them as well. See, one of the most loving things is to quit focusing on or comparing behavior and just to care and to protect each other's heart because the heart is the issue. And after all, like me, we need to look at each other and realize they're battling the flesh every day just like I'm battling my flesh every day. So who doesn't need brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside of us to encourage us because they understand we're in the same fight together, not with each other, but with the flesh on the inside. So that's the most loving thing I can do, is to be that safe relationship for them to journey with Jesus, too. Number five. The battle with the flesh is only won by saying yes to the Spirit. Listen carefully to me. If I focus solely on just trying to say no to my flesh, I will end up measuring my righteousness by how little I sin and that results in my building a set of rules to try to manage my sin. But to be, but to but to believe that I can manage my sin is to grossly underestimate its power and then I also overestimate what I am capable of resisting by rules. Back to 2 Corinthians 3.18. How did that whole passage end? Oh, we're being transformed into the same image, this glory of the Lord, from one degree of glory to another. I didn't read the last phrase. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit focus is on what the Spirit... Our focus should be on what the Spirit is trying to draw up and out of us, this new creation. Not just trying to figure out ways to say, no. You know, it's not unusual for any of us to be afraid of the unknown. Those things that we've never seen, those things we've never experienced, can often seem overwhelming or incredibly intimidating. Centuries and centuries ago, on old maps, back before the world was understood in in modern terms, cartographers or map makers back then would put down what they knew or what they were told was true about the world. But at the edges of the maps, beyond which they had no knowledge, no one in their country had any knowledge or understanding, they would often write... Beyond here, there be dragons. I don't know if you've ever seen some of those old maps. If what I have been describing to you today is biblically true, and, and folks, I believe it is, it's going to feel for many of you to follow Jesus with this whole new perspective to be a journey into the unknown. And if we go there, Jesus is going to take us out to beyond the edges of our tightly mapped, security-oriented, and comfort-focused American lifestyle. Trust me, he will. And so if I'm going to go there with him, what will I encounter? What is out there beyond my experience and understanding? Will there be dragons? Meaning, will will I just encounter disaster and ruin? Or is what Jesus is telling us the truth that we'll find life and it will be life with a capital L? And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Father, You know how many times in prayer I have come before you and expressed my fear of this unknown. Of you bringing up and out of me that which you have already placed there because I am in Christ and Christ is in me. And Father, there are many of us who probably feel that same way. We want to go where you wanted us to follow. You want us to take this journey with you of seeing you progressively make us more into that glorious image of Jesus Christ. One degree of glory to another. Father, I I, I know I'm not guessing here. There are probably many in this room this morning that are wondering, what in the world is going on in me? They feel like such failures. They feel like such disappointments. And Father I pray that the truth of God's word would come in and begin to battle those lies, those deceptions from Satan. To see that they're already they have already received. And there's nothing they can do to add any more to your pleasure in them. You rejoice over them, you sing over them, you are delighted in them. Thank you. And may you work with each one of us. And what does that mean now for us to mature more, to grow more, to be put into completion more? And we look forward to how that's going to work out in our lives for your glory.
0: We pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.RanchoBaptistChurch.org That's www.RanchoBaptistChurch.org Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.